Bibles to Acts chapter 1, if you would. Acts chapter 1. And we're going to read a section of Acts that you may skip over in your Bible reading plan every year as you make your way into the book of Acts. At first, it seems as though this is nothing more than an introduction to the real stuff of Acts, and yet I think there is so much here that the Lord has for us in encouragement. So this is Acts chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 3, and as we read, let's remember, this is God's Word. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to his apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them and after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And let's read verses four and five as well. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. This is God's word. And Lord, I just pray that I would, you would use me to be an encouragement to the Sovereign Grace Church of Aurora. God, thank you for the faithful saints, the men and women in this room. I, I do pray that your, your word would do what I cannot do and breathe life and faith and encouragement to every brother or sister who needs it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, a number of years ago, I was handing out a book at a conference. I ended up working a, a booth at a, another conference for a conference that at that time Sovereign Grace was putting on. And at the booth, we had a number of these, these books we were giving out as a you know, freebie, a giveaway. And the book cover was written in kind of an, it was, was designed in an old style. So it looks like one of those old Puritan books, right? Uh, I don't know what it is about Banner of Truth, but all their books. The Puritan books have this old style. You can just tell this book is like 100 years old. Uh, this was written 100 years ago, even if it was published last year. And, and the, the style of the book was written in this old sort of Puritan style. And so as, you know, as we're handing out the book, I'm, I'm saying, you know, people are asking, what's this book? It looks so old. You know, we're not giving away cool new books. It looks like we, this is an ancient book. And I was like, hey, listen, this guy... We love old dead guys in Sovereign Grace. We love um, churches that, that are built on solid, unchanging truth. And so uh, we, we, that's why we're giving this book away. We think it'll encourage you. And we're like, great. So I'm making my little spiel as I'm handing the books out. And this girl comes up, and, and I say the same thing. We're, we love to give away books by old dead guys. And she's like, she, she smiles when she sees the book. And then as I say, we love to give away books by old dead guys, she smiles, and her smile drops, and she looks at me. And she says, he's, he's dead? And, and I'm realizing, okay, I'm, uh, something's happening that I don't understand right now. And so I say, well, what do you mean? And she's like, he was my pastor. And I'm, I'm thinking, oh, oh no. Um, <laughs> and so then I say, there's nothing you can say at that point to recover. So you, I tried to say, well, I, I'm, sure he's, I'm sure he's not dead. I'm sure he's fine. She's like, well, she, he was my pastor growing up. And and I haven't heard from him in a while, and I had no idea that he died. I've got to tell my parents. And I'm like, well, maybe not, maybe not. Maybe, maybe find out first if he is dead. She's like, why would you say that he died? And, and so, you know, there's no way to get that. 
and so we, I, I end the interaction as much as well as I can, and uh, I just, you know, admitted I didn't know that he was, I thought he was an old dead guy. The book seems old. <laughs> and so she walked away, and, and for the first time, I, I looked at the book a little bit differently. I had seen the book as, okay, whoever this guy was, this guy's name was Milton Vincent, which even sounds like a hundred-year-old name, Milton Vincent, you know, and he, he I, I, be, I saw the book as done and his ministry over, and for the first time, I looked at the book and I thought, I wonder if he's written anything else. I wonder what he's doing now. I've been so blessed by this book. I wonder what he's doing now. And in a similar way, that question should be on our minds as we enter the book of Acts. In the same way, if we understand Acts 1-1, we will be leaning forward and wondering what, not just what did Jesus do, but rather asking the question, what is Jesus doing? What is he doing next? And so the main idea today is very simple. What Jesus began in his earthly ministry, he continues through the ministry of your local church, this local church. A very simple message structured today. I'm going to ask three questions. First one is, why does Jesus' work continue? Why does Jesus' work continue? Now, it, without the book of Acts, there would be a great mystery in the Roman world and a great mystery even in the New Testament because Jesus lived and died within a relatively small geographic area of a backwater province of the Roman Empire. But by the end of the century, it was spreading like wildfire all the way from Antioch to Alexandria to Rome and beyond. And the name Jesus in AD 33 when he died was almost unknown in the Roman Empire, but within a few decades, within a few short decades, it was known from shore to shore all across the Mediterranean. And it was spread without a powerful ruler behind the name. It was spread without state support and actually despite persecution. It was spread without armies. A lot of the conversions in the ancient world where you get conquered and so now you're whatever new religion. You know, sorry, you lost the war. Now you have our God. And, and yet this small sect of, of Jewish Christ followers turn the world upside down. How does that happen? Well, it hinges on the word began, what Jesus began to do and teach. So if you compare translations of verse 1 between Bible versions, some of the language changes, meaning in the first account, um, in the first book, but there is universal agreement about how to translate the most important and striking word in that sentence, which is the word began, erxado, which means to start in motion, to begin, to initiate. It means an action that continues through the present into the future, okay? So it doesn't just mean it happened. It means it started and continues into the future. Now, if you're familiar with the Gospel of Luke, this is the second volume the physician Luke writes, and the first had to do with Jesus' life and especially his death and resurrection. But at the end of the gospel of Luke, Jesus ascends into heaven. So it would be way more natural for him to begin this second volume with saying this, in the first book, O Theophilus, I dealt with all that Jesus did and taught, right? That would be what you expect. Hey, I'm summarizing my first volume, all, all he did, all he taught. But rather, he says, 
In the first book, I dealt with all that Jesus began, and then he uses, for the grammar nerds, the present active infinitive, which is the only time I get to use my college degree this morning in grammar. Uh, The present active infinitive to do and to teach. So what we learn is that Jesus' work in Luke is finished. Jesus Christ out on the cross, it is finished. But there is a sense in which Jesus' work, what he's doing, is unfinished. So it is finished, in a sense. So I'm not suggesting by any means that we need to go out and continue the work of saving ourselves, or we need to finish atoning for our sins. Jesus started atoning for our sins, but we got to finish atoning for our sins. No, that is, well, that's heresy. Um, in the book of Hebrews, the, the author of Hebrews uses the picture that, that every day the high priest would stand daily at his service. He could never sit down. He's offering another offering for sin, another offering for sin, another offering for sin. But in the book of Hebrews, it says that, that when Christ, as the high priest of high priests, offered one sacrifice for sin, then he sat down, meaning his work is done. There's no more future offerings necessary. So there is a sense, let's not confuse it, there is a clear sense in which when Jesus cries out on the cross, it is finished, every Christian should say, amen. There's nothing we can add to it. It is done. And yet, when Jesus returned from the dead, he did not simply then gather up the redeemed and immediately bring a new heaven and a new earth because that was not his plan. His work, there is some aspect of his work then that is still unfinished. Salvation has been accomplished through Jesus Christ, but it now must be heralded and proclaimed. So think of it this way, that the way to eternal life is now opened, and Jesus finished that work, but now sinners must be invited in to that salvation that Jesus has accomplished. Jesus delays. And, and one of the reasons, we, in some ways we don't know for all the reasons Jesus delays, but one of the reasons we know in the New Testament that he delays is that more might be invited in through the door of salvation. Jesus began that work in his ministry, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, inviting sinners, but that work continues. So this then is the connection between the book of Luke and the book of Acts. What Jesus begins in Luke, he continues in Acts. The gospel of Luke is the story of Jesus, of what Jesus did in his physical body, but the story of Acts is set up as the story of what Jesus continues to do through his corporate body, which is the church. Right, that's why in Acts 9, Jesus asks Paul, why are you persecuting me? Right? Not just the church. Why are you persecuting the church? No, why are you persecuting me? Or later, for example, in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, Paul understands this when he says to the church, you are Christ's body. Or Colossians 1.18, Christ is the head of the body, the Church. So what Jesus begins in his physical body, he continues through his corporate body, the church. And we can go through commission after commission. Actually, every gospel has then a commission that Jesus gives to his body to do the work of heralding and proclaiming the gospel. It's in Luke, it's in Mark, it's in Matthew, it's in John. So there is no gospel that you can read that leaves you without a commission from Jesus. There's no gospel that you're meant to read and go, oh, that was good. I'm so glad. 
Thank you. And then move on with your life. Rather, every gospel describes the work of Jesus and then charges the believers in the gospel to continue the work of Jesus of inviting sinners to salvation. I think of it this way. Um, I'm a fan of the great western half of the United States. I just feel like there's more fresh air here. There's more freedom here. There's more open spaces. I get. I lived on the East Coast for a couple of years, where you know every like there's basically you drive one end of the East Coast to the top to the bottom, and it's just like there's always just people. There's just people, and I'm like ah, there's just too many people all over the place. But you start driving, uh, you know, through Colorado or New Mexico or Arizona, and you're like ah, now now I can breathe, right? But these great open spaces, one of, the, one of the images of the great western frontier is the Pony Express. And I was reading recently about the Pony Express because I'm a nerd and I go down these rabbit trails on Wikipedia. And, talk, and, and, and they were talking about how the Pony Express only existed for 18 months and then it went bankrupt because the telegram put it out of business. But it was a glorious 18 months. And the way it worked was this. They, they, would, they would get a, a mochila, a bag that they would put, and, and they would tell them, listen, you and the horse are less valuable than the mochila. So if you go down or the horse goes down, that's fine. Keep this bag safe. You're like, wow, thanks. And so what would happen is they would ride, switch horses, keep riding, maybe switch horses again, keep riding, and then immediately hand it off to another rider who's waiting. They flip the bag on, they jump on, poof, take off, right? And they had all these stations set up. And so here's the thing. Once the message goes in on one end of the country, right? It does not stop until it gets to California, right? Through, through, through rain and sleet, no matter what, it's, it's going. And in a sense, that's what we're meant to feel as we read Luke and the book of Acts, that, that this gospel, like a gun goes off in the gospel of Luke, and it continues generation after generation, person after person. It cannot stop. It will not stop. It must not stop. It keeps going. What Jesus began to do, he will continue to do. And, and it has, uh, let, me, let me just say this, it's worked for 2,000 years. The work that Jesus began 2,000 years ago, I know that it worked because there is a group of believers at Sovereign Grace Church of Aurora who know the message of salvation. And if at any point along the way that, that the line had been broken and the message had not gone here and Jesus had stopped doing his work, you guys would not exist. We would not exist. So Here's my encouragement. Do you feel the connection between the pages of the New Testament and your individual life? This is both encouraging and challenging. It's encouraging because it means, brother or sister, that your, your life matters. You're, you're not simply biding time. You're not just sitting, kind of waiting around for Jesus to come back. Like, hey, I like Sovereign Grace Church of Aurora. It's a nice place. The music is great. You've got these beautiful lights behind us. You've got, you know... It, and somebody will watch my three-year-old. Awesome, I'm in. Let's do that. I'm just going to wait to bide my time. No, church. You matter to the Lord. You are part of Christ's continuing work through his body today. You're part of what God is doing in the world today. That's exciting. That should be encouraging. But also, it is challenging. It's challenging because it means that your life isn't your own. It means you can't simply come up with your plan for your life and ask God to bless it, which is a lot of times what we do. It's like, here's my plan for my life, God. Can you bless this? Rather than going, well, Jesus, what are you doing in the world today? We're like, well, here's what I'm doing in the world today. Can you do that? 
No, no, no. We're brought into what Jesus is doing in the world today. You cannot decide whether or not to be involved in Christ's work if you are part of Christ's body, because you are then part of Christ's work. You're brought into his work. What Jesus began, he continues today. Second question, uh, what continues then in Jesus' work? I want to I drop in for a second just and ask the big question, what is it then that we continue? And I think this is where even the, 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 the first line in the gospel, of, I mean, the book of Acts is, is so helpful. It, it says in the first book, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. So it, it introduces these two categories of work that continues, that, that Jesus does he did some things in the book of Luke and he is continuing them and he taught some things in the book of Luke and he's continuing them. So this is the way I would say it. We are invited into Jesus' work of demonstrating and declaring the kingdom of God and the message of salvation. The, the pattern, that pattern of doing and teaching what Jesus taught and, and did, that, that should be reflected in, in our churches and my church at Cross of Grace in El Paso, and Sovereign Grace Church of Aurora, in your individual life, it should be continued. So what does that look like? First, demonstrating what Jesus began to do. Well, there's so much more we could, we could do here. I, I think I, I did this over like three messages at my church, so you're going to get it in like, like espresso form, right? Here's a cup of coffee. We're just going to like shoot it down. Boom, you're going to slam it down. Okay, so... This is what Jesus began to do. In the Gospel of Luke, when Jesus comes on the scene, you immediately see miracles, right? You immediately see miracles. But these aren't just like magician kind of showing off, like, hey, look what I can do. That's not what Jesus is doing. It's not a little razzle-dazzle. It's, it's, it's Jesus demonstrating the reality of the kingdom of God breaking into the world and foreshadowing and pointing to the salvation and restoration that Jesus will offer through his life, death, and resurrection, right? So, so for example, when you see Jesus casting out demons, what's he doing? He's demonstrating the reality of freedom from spiritual oppression comes through the gospel. When you see Jesus healing a blind man, what's he doing? He's demonstrating the reality that, that God gives us spiritual sight back, that, the, that God opens our eyes in salvation, when you see Jesus bringing in and welcoming the outcast, what's he doing? He's, he's foreshadowing how outcasts of all kinds and sinners of all kinds will be brought into the kingdom of God through the salvation accomplished by Jesus Christ. He is demonstrating the reality of the kingdom of God and salvation through what he does. And then we see this continue in the book of Acts, in early Acts especially, um, Luke is careful to highlight the connection between what Jesus did and what the church is doing. For example, in Acts chapter 3, a lame beggar is healed when he cries out for help, which is almost a mirror image of a very similar miracle that Jesus accomplishes in the gospel of Luke. Peter says, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Now, if Jesus was a dead martyr, his name wouldn't do anything, right? But if Jesus is alive and active and his name is full of power, right, that's, how, that's how that miracle is accomplished. Now, clearly for us as local churches, there are times where God does demonstrate his kingdom and his salvation in spectacular ways. Uh, we, you know, God does at times heal people. There are miraculous things that happen and we thank God for them. 
But we also see the church commanded to demonstrate Jesus' kingdom and the reality of salvation in everyday ways. So, for example, in, in the book of Titus, Paul speaks about how each person should behave, should demonstrate the kingdom of God by being self-controlled. <laughs> You're like, oh, does that, that? Yeah, it does. It demonstrates the reality of the kingdom of God. So that, he says, in everything we may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Meaning that in everything we do, from marriage to doing good to others to having self-control, God's people are to live radically different lives that point toward the reality of the kingdom of God and the salvation that Christ has accomplished. We continue to, we continue to see Jesus doing things through the church. Let me give you one example. Um, in Sovereign Grace Churches, we, we have been partners for the last few years with uh, Pastor Jai Prakash in India, a really relatively small village in India. Uh, our, one of our pastors, Todd Peterson, makes a trip there once or twice a year. And Eric uh, Ranhel from Yuma went with him this last time. Eric's been doing work, so they're kind of uniting in India. And JP grew up in this relatively small village, and he made many efforts to reach his village with the gospel for years. Um, but in his village, there's a strong segregation between Hindu and Christian. And the Hindus did not want to associate, did not want to associate with Christians. So literally, if you can imagine this, he would walk down the street and greet people and they would just ignore him. They would just like look through him. He'd be like, hey, good morning. And they would just kind of look through him. I don't see you. You're a Christian, right? And that's, that's what he got used to. So... The pandemic, though, provided an unexpected opportunity to demonstrate the reality of the kingdom of God and the salvation of Christ. So in India, the, the way that it worked is if people, people really aren't getting paychecks for like a month, you know, they're getting paychecks for the day in many ways. Uh, maybe at the end of the week, but definitely at the end of the day. And when the lockdown occurred, they could not work, so they could not buy food. They could not get money, so they couldn't buy food, so they couldn't eat. So people, this is not an exaggeration, people in his village were starving. If families didn't have any storehouses of food, they, they didn't have any money to buy more. And so JP went around and found those starving or without food and working with our church. Our church gave a, a kind of a, a big donation so he could buy tons of food and create these food bags for his village. And so he would go around, find out who needed food and deliver these food bags and ask, does anybody, you know, does anybody need prayer? And he did this, this is remarkable. He did this with dozens of households for weeks and weeks until the lockdown was lifted. There were hundreds, if not thousands of meals given out through his small local church. And all of a sudden, he was welcomed into homes that had rejected him for years. He prayed with people who would never have even wanted to talk to a Christian pastor. He shared the gospel with people, and actually some were saved through that, which is remarkable. It means a massive change from the Hindu community uh, and losing the respect and, and honor of your whole extended family. And now when he walks the streets, people know who he is, and they, they greet him and welcome him because they say this, the Christians took care of us even when the Hindus would not during the pandemic. That's, I think, what, what Luke is talking about. Jesus began to demonstrate this reality, but we continue as a church to demonstrate this reality. Okay, second, declaring. 
we begin, Jesus began to do, and he began to teach. So uh, we recently worked through the Gospel of Mark as a church, and I love how Jesus appears on the scene in the beginning of Mark. Mark 1.14, it says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, the good news of God, and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel, in the good news. Meaning this, Jesus was not just a social do-gooder. He wasn't, as Kevin Young's famously said uh, and remarked, that it's always stuck in my head. Jesus was not Bono in a bathrobe, just kind of wandering the earth doing good deeds. He had a message to proclaim. And when Jesus taught... He often taught in three main categories. This is crazy espresso summary. He taught the moral law to people to show them that they were sinners in need of a savior. He pointed to the love of God for sinners, and then he pointed to his unique identity as the savior that could accomplish that salvation that they need. That's what Jesus taught over and over and over again. Now, uh, you see that then the apostles, they take up this teaching they carry on the, the task of declaring who Jesus was. They, they, they declare, sinners need a savior. You're a sinner. Jesus is that savior. They just declare it over and over and over again. Uh, first message in the book of Acts, Peter stands up and declares, Jesus, a man of, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. That's probably not where I would start with the gospel. You know, you guys all killed Jesus. That's where Peter starts. But God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And then he later summarizes, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. So I want you to see this very clearly. What Jesus proclaims, the church then proclaims. It's not as a Jesus taught and then the church has a different teaching. No, Jesus continues his teaching through Peter and through the church and through us. Now, one critical thing for us to see is that it wasn't just the pattern of the apostles who declared the gospel of Jesus. It was also the members of everyday churches in the New Testament that declared this same message. Um, one of my favorite examples of this is the church in Antioch, one of the strongest, most influential, most missions-minded churches in the New Testament. So how do you start? How do you start this? Well, it wasn't started by Paul. It wasn't started by Barnabas. Acts 11 says this. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution traveled, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also preaching, what? Preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Do you see that this pattern of preaching the gospel, begun by Jesus, uh, continued by the apostles, is then even continued into the everyday lives of ordinary folks who came to Christ in the New Testament. Now look, for, let me give you one example of this from our our own church context. Now, I think it's ironic that I'm teaching this message because for many years, I, I really struggled to share the gospel with anybody. And our church was, was by no means, whatever the opposite of an evangelistic powerhouse is, that's what our church was. 
So if you think of evangelistic powerhouse and you think opposite, that's where we were. And, and listen, we, we made attempts over the years at different times. We, we tried the Jesus videos. We tried uh, invitations to special events. We tried things, you know. We'd kind of make an effort and it wouldn't be received. And so we would just kind of go, ah, and then kind of give up. And then you'd kind of, okay, we really got to try again. And we'd try again and then, ah. And it didn't seem, if I could be honest, it did not seem like Jesus' powerful work was continuing through our local church. I could read that in Acts, but it didn't seem like it was being lived out in our neighborhood. So we, a few years ago, formed a neighborhood outreach team of folks who made it their goal to serve the neighborhood and to get to know the neighbors around our church building and just see who they could build relationships with, see who they could preach the gospel to. And, and a lot of people were not open. Uh, this, we live in a very, very Catholic area. We live in between a Catholic seminary, a Catholic monastery, and a Catholic, like a historic Catholic girls' school, and our church is in the middle. And so, you know, sometimes people are just like, no, 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 thanks. And, and yet, our neighborhood outreach team found one open door with a woman named Maggie who was open to talking to them. She was in her 40s. She had four kids who all had developmental disabilities. Um, the kids are very, very sweet, but very limited in, in how they could interact with you. Uh, she had a very troubled relationship with her ex-husband who lived with them. But through persistence, people on our neighborhood outreach team began to meet with her, began to talk to her about Jesus, began to walk her through the gospel, and she began coming to church unexpectedly. And she decided to sit right on the front row. And she sang loud, even though she didn't know the songs. And, and all of a sudden, we began to think, I think the Lord's doing something in Maggie's heart. And so she was baptized later that year with her kids. All of her kids uh, felt like they, they came, in the limited way that they can understand, wanted to be baptized with their mom and follow Jesus. And so she, 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 I asked her, why do you sit in the front row, Maggie? And she said, uh, because I love it it loud. And I found out later, she was like a rock and roller, right? She had these like rock and roll t-shirts. She was just like, yes. And so whatever that was pre-conversion, she just translated into worship. It was wonderful. <laughs> that was 2019. And the next year in 2020, she died unexpectedly of a heart attack. Just out of nowhere. Um, seemed fine, then was gone. But she is now with the Lord because of the faithful, ordinary work of Christians in our church sharing the gospel with her. And when we went out of that neighborhood, we didn't know how much time we had. We didn't know we only had a year left with Maggie, but the Lord did. And the Lord used our church to save her. Now, there's no revival that has yet broken out in our church neighborhood. Um, there's no people knocking down the doors, but, but there is one more person who has now come to eternal life. And, and we consistently, as we've, you know, it, it's almost like it's hard to get the, the flywheel going, but once it's going, it begins to roll. And, and just this year, we've seen a number of folks come to know the Lord Jesus Christ through the faithful, ordinary ministry of the church. And let me just say this, if I could make if I could be so bold as to make a comment about the great, your, your area and the great state of Colorado, because I have absolutely loved being here the last two weeks. Um, I, I think this is like, this is, this to me is what heaven is going to be like. Somewhere in the Rockies, I'm going to have a cabin 
with a mountain lake, and this is, this is where I'm going to live. So I'll be in the Colorado section in some ways of, of heaven, which there will be one. And I love the Rockies. Uh, we, we were on the Yampa River over in Steamboat for a bit. Uh, we were at an outdoor concert on Friday. The sun was setting. The music was playing. And I just thought, what in the world? Where, where am I? And this is a place that, that the people here in Colorado love the beauty of creation, don't they? They love to be out in nature. But there is a deep sadness inside the soul of Colorado because it does not know the God of creation. They, they can see glimpses and glimmers. They can climb mountains. They can be out wandering the wilderness looking for something, and yet there is something missing underneath those cool Patagonia jackets that everybody wears. In their heart, there is a need. There is a brokenness. There is a lostness that they are looking for. They're looking to fill it out there, but they'll never be able to fill it until they look up and see the God who made all of it. And church, you, you carry that call to demonstrate and declare what Jesus began to do and teach to these people. Over 300,000 of them, I just saw in, in, in the city of Aurora, over 3 million, about 3 million people in the Denver area. How many of them may not know Jesus? All right, let me, let me end with this. How then can we continue Jesus' work? Now, I hope at this point you, you see the task of the commission that Jesus has given the church, and you see how great and important the task is. But if you are like me, when you see, okay, I'm supposed to continue this, I'm supposed to do, I'm supposed to teach in the pattern and mold of Jesus, that feels overwhelming, right? I, I, I was the kid that we had an alpha one time, a youth alpha. I remember this growing up. It's like burned into my memory. We had a youth alpha growing up, and we were all supposed to invite one person. You know how your pastor gives you that kind of that charge? Hey, I want everybody in the youth group to invite one person to the youth alpha. Alpha is like an evangelism course back in the day. And, and I was like, okay, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. And I was absolutely terrified to do it. So I waited until the day before the alpha was going to begin. And I knew I was going to be asked, hey, did you invite somebody? And I called somebody on the phone. I won't say who it was. I called them on the phone, and this is literally the way I invited them. I was like, hey, I know you're probably busy uh, tomorrow night, and I know you probably don't want to do this, but if, in case you are bored and have nothing to do, our church is having a kind of a dinner thing and talk, and you could come if you wanted to do that and didn't have anything else to do. And they were like, uh, I think I have plans. I was like, cool, yeah, I, I assumed that you're a cool person with cool plans. Yeah, cool, no worries. And then, uh, and then the next day, everyone said, hey, did everybody invite somebody? And I was like, yeah, it's just the soil is so hard. The soil is so hard in this area, you know, just sowing the seed, but you know what, you know. And, and so that's me, right? That's, that's, that's the irony is that I ended up becoming a pastor, but that's me in my heart of hearts. And maybe that's you today. And the task that Jesus has given the church can feel overwhelming, but listen, listen to what Jesus says in verses four through five. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. 
what we're meant to do as we read the book of Acts is we're meant to read everything under two headlines. Under the headline, what Jesus continues to do and teach in the church, and then under that headline, another headline, in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what hangs over the entire book of Acts. This is what Jesus continued to do and teach in the power of the Holy Spirit through the local church, right? That's the book of Acts. And, and that, that element of doing this in the power of the Spirit makes all the difference. Jesus promises that the commission he gives will be made possible because of the power of the Spirit. So Acts 1.8, he says the Spirit will give us the power we need to declare and demonstrate the gospel. In Luke 12, Jesus says the Spirit will give us the right words to say in moments of testimony. In Ephesians 4 and 1 Corinthians 12, uh, the, the word says the Spirit will give us gifts to build up the church so that it can carry out its mission. And if you read the book of Luke and the book of Acts together, you should see something. You should see that the same power that was with Jesus in his ministry is now with the church. In, in beginning of Luke, Jesus is, Luke is very careful to note Jesus is conceived by the power of the Spirit. Luke 3, Jesus receives the Spirit as he begins his ministry. In Luke 4.18, Jesus starts his ministry by declaring that the Spirit of God is upon him in a fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy. So, so what are we meant to see? We're meant to see everything that Jesus does in the Gospel of Luke, he does in the power of the Spirit. And so then at the beginning of Acts, Luke, what does he do? He's very careful to help us see again everything the church does, the church does in the power of the Spirit. Church, I want you to feel this truth today. The same Spirit that was on Jesus to do and to teach is with the church to do and to teach. The Spirit's work continues through Jesus' work in his earthly ministry and through Jesus' work in his corporate ministry of the church. Now, to be sure, we do not experience the Spirit in the same way and measure that Jesus did. We are not members of the Trinity. That's heresy. We don't get added. It's not like the Father, Son, Spirit, and Frank. You know, that's the new Trinity in the gospel. That's not it. We don't have the same relationship to the Holy Spirit, but we have a relationship to the same Spirit. Amen? We, we, we do not have the same relationship with the spirit that Jesus did, but we have a relationship with the same spirit. And Lord, I just pray right now that you would help us to feel the reality of that. Lord, you say in Galatians 4 that the spirit of God is meant that we could cry, Abba, Father, in our hearts. And I pray that, that somehow today, Lord, as we gather, you would help us glimpse this. Glimpse this, Lord. Help us. Look, some, sometimes, if I could drop back into the message, sometimes we are overwhelmed by the commission of Jesus because we do not feel the power that Jesus has given us to carry that mission out. H.B. Uh, Charles, a preacher, tells this great story of a father and son driving on a road, a, a kind of a, a road out in the middle of nowhere, and they come upon a tree that has fallen in the, the middle of the road. The tree has fallen over, and the father tells the son, um, who's maybe you know, 10 or 12, son, I want you to go out and move that tree. And the son looks back and says, dad, I can't move that tree. And he says, son, I want you to use all your power to move that tree. 
So the kid gets out. He's like, oh, my gosh, okay. So he's like pushes, pushes, maybe budges a little bit. No, comes back in the car. And he's like, Dad, I can't do it. He's like, son, I want you to use all your power. And he's like, oh, he goes back out again. Pushes, pushes, doesn't budge, comes back in. And finally, the kid's discouraged, and he's on the verge of tears. He's like, Dad, I can't do this. I don't have enough power to do this. And, he, and the dad, with a smile, tells him, son, I told you to use all your power. He's like, I did, Dad. I did use all my power. And the father tells him, no, son, you didn't use all your power because you didn't ask me for help. And so the dad gets out with the son and pushes the, the tree, teaching his son a life lesson along the way. I think in a similar way, we can receive the commission of Jesus. And it's as though God is telling us, I want you to, church, I want you to use all your power to go out, to do and to teach in demonstration of the kingdom of God and the salvation of God. And we're like, I can't do it. I can't do it. It's too much. And the Lord asks us, have you used all the power I've given you? Have you used the spirit that I have poured out on you, that you have been plunged into, the same spirit by which Jesus ministered and the early church ministered, that same spirit on you? Have you used that? And we go, oh man, I, I don't know. I don't know if I've used that. We can continue the work that Jesus began because we continue it in the power of the Spirit. Now, in closing, let me just say this. We, we often think of ourselves as bystanders to the great work that Jesus is doing you know, all around. And maybe, maybe you love hearing the stories like I do of, of great missionary figures and leaders who get out and do these amazing, like Hudson Taylor and these people who do amazing things for the Lord. And it feels like they live in one world and we live in another. Or you read the pages of the New Testament, you think, okay, Paul and Barnabas, they live in one world, but I, I live here. But I think we often miss the reality that God continues this amazing, powerful, world-changing, world-turning-upside-down mission through ordinary people in ordinary local churches. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a risk here. Uh, hopefully this works. But I'm going to take a risk here and ask for your participation. Because I'd love to know, if, if you came to know Christ through a book or a video or an article, just reading it by yourself, right? You're, you're just it's you and some book, you came to know Christ, nobody's in front of you, would you raise your hand? Anybody come to Christ like that? Just reading a book? We have one guy in our church that got saved reading Left Behind. He's one of our worship leaders, um, and he disavows it every chance he gets. And, he's, and, it's, and it's great because he's very theologically sharp, and now the Lord has used it as like a way to humble him throughout his whole Christian life. So nobody came. Okay, nobody in this group came through a book or a video or an article by themselves. Um, if you came to know Christ through a, a famous kind of historically notable evangelist or pastor, raise your hand. I'm talking about like a Billy Graham or somebody that, that just is going to be in a history book. Anybody? No? Wow, okay. Well, then let me ask this. If you came to know Christ through an ordinary person sharing the gospel in front of you, would you raise your hand? Yeah, that's it. That's it. I, I, and and I, the reason I want you to see that, church, is I want you to see this church exists. You exist as Christians because Jesus continued his work through ordinary people to you. So how can we not believe that Jesus could use us as well 
ordinary people to reach more. The Jesus work that began 2,000 years ago that went off like a gunshot and the link has been unbroken all the way down to Sovereign Grace Church of Aurora. And, and that, that work that Jesus has begun and he sent the Spirit to give us that mission, who knows what the Lord could do next? So here, here's, here's my burden as, as I close and I'm about to pray. Here's my burden. As you read this, okay, if you do this for me, t- take a co- copy of God's Word in your hands if you have one. I want you to hold this thing for a minute. This book in your hands is not the story of what Jesus did. And it's done and over with. And we read about it as something of a historical curiosity. This book also contains what Jesus is continuing to do in the world today, and as you open it, you are part of it. Would you pray with me? Oh, Lord, I do pray for your Holy Spirit, God, to meet us as we end here. Lord, I pray that that as we end, we'd sense a couple things. First, I pray that we would sense your nearness. Lord, I pray that your Spirit would would be on us in such a way that we feel the reality of this connection we have to you and to the Spirit and to your work. Lord, I pray then that you would, through the Spirit, allow us to sense the amazing grace that you have shown us, that what you began 2,000 years ago, you had, you had us as believers in mind as you began that chain, that Pony Express gospel train from generation to generation, from continent to continent, all the way to the gospel reaching us. Lord, we've been caught up in this because you have caught us up in this. You, we, we, we may never have seen you open the eyes of a blind man in, you know, on the road to Damascus, but Lord, you, you have opened our eyes that are blind. We may have never seen you physically deliver somebody from a, a, a legion of demons, but you've delivered us from spiritual bondage. Lord, we are witnesses to all that you have done and taught in our own lives. And so, Lord, and Lord, I pray that we would, with hope and with faith, take up this call to continue the work of Jesus as faithfully as we can, as well as we can, in our generation, that the chain of gospel ministry will continue yet unbroken until you return. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand.